Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, our weekly look at what's going on in the world of animals, zoos, aquariums, conservation, all that stuff, all the, all the news that's fit to print. This isn't a printed thing. It's a, it's a digital listening thingy, but um, yeah, you know what I mean. Anyway, I am still here gigging in Phoenix, Arizona, recording this podcast in the walk-in closet of a little girl's bedroom, which kind of sounds creepy if you haven't listened to the last Zoo News episode where I explained what my living situation is here. But uh, eh, I'm going to roll with it because, well, frankly, I find it amusing. So yeah, this is Zoo News, and if you're new here... uh. Again, sorry about that little girl's bedroom thing, but, um, uh, you know, I want to let you know that this is a crowdsourced news podcast, meaning that while I do some of my own research, you are able to contribute stories to the episode simply by tagging me in them at Rossafari on social media, emailing them to me, rossafaripod at gmail.com, or, you know, like calling me with them or whatever if you know me if you don't don't do that it's creepy and and not in the um obsessively talking about recording in a little girl's closet way oh boy i'm glad i have editors because uh i can blame them when this makes it into the episode it's an editor it's it's zoe you all you all know that zoe edits the podcast so you can blame her for me being allowed to leave this in here. Um, I also have my two stuffed red pandas that help me make the podcast, but that that doesn't count. I don't listen to their advice about things like this. Anyway, all joking around aside, uh, I, I want to take a minute here to share something with my podcast audience. This is an exclusive and I can't give too many details yet, but y'all, I got something cooking right now. Not literally, it's it's after midnight and I'm not in the kitchen because, again, I'm, I'm in a closet. Um, but stop. Anyway, but uh, what I want to share with you all is that I am soon going to be opening up a fundraiser for Red Panda Network. I can't go into too many details yet, but uh, I'm collaborating with a really amazing Phoenix-based artist who I met through my gig, actually, not through the normal animal channels. And we have created something really special and really unique, especially for you red panda lovers out there. It is something the likes of which I have never seen before. And we are going to be selling it to hopefully you, the person listening to this right now. And um, 
you know, sending some proceeds to Red Panda Network. We're working out all the details right now, and I really can't share more than that. But I want you to be excited. I want you to hear this and remember that you need to be checking in at Ross Safari on Instagram, on Facebook, because this is going to be a really cool, really unique piece of merch. Not podcast merch that you you can get that stuff at rossafari.com but that's not what we're talking about here but uh just a piece of of art wearable art i'll I'll say wearable art i can tell you that much that is is going to be something that is awesome and unique and cool and and helps save red pandas so like obviously obviously i want this to be huge so i'll be promoting it and i'm hoping that y'all will go and check it out and buy it and also you know promote it and stuff too, because that would be awesome. Don't have an exact date yet, but it is coming soon. I promise you. And I can not wait. Also on a quick side note there, I didn't just say I can not wait. I said, I can not wait, which is a really weird way to break up those words. But, um, that's what I did. You're welcome. Okay. Here's an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right. We got the goofy intro out of the way. We got the cool, exciting stuff out of the way. And we got at least three or four weird things about me um, being in a little girl's closet out of the way. Make that five. So I guess it's time for... One, two, three, four. Ow, there's a funky monkey. Treat kangaroo. Or a binturong. It's news. Yeah. All right, so um, we're going to start Zoo News in the Ukraine. Uh, don't know if y'all heard about this, but um, there is a war going on in the Ukraine. Russia has invaded. And um, don't worry, we're not going to get all political here, but I will tell you that this war is not just affecting the humans of the Ukraine, but it is affecting the zoos of the Ukraine. And so um, I have to mention it here. I've actually held off on recording this episode until like the last possible minute that I could today because I wanted to make sure that any info that I give about the Ukraine is as up to date as possible. And uh, so, yeah, there are a couple of things going on that I wanted to tell you about. We'll start in Kiev, where some animals are stuck at a zoo right now. The Kiev Zoo is the only really big zoo in the area, um, is still there and has not had any major issues with bombing or anything like that. Uh, the zoo houses around 4,000 animals, including Tony, the only gorilla who lives in the Ukraine. 
The zoo is hoping to evacuate their animals, but because of the size of their collection and because there is fighting happening all around the zoo, they do not feel that right now there is any opportunity to do so. So what they're currently doing is the keepers are going to the zoo every day and doing their job and watching their food supplies that they can give to the animals dwindle and um, hoping for the best. They've also had to move a ton of the animals to either their indoor enclosures or to underground galleries that aren't set up specifically for those animals because the animals are so incredibly stressed about the war. They can, you know, hear the the stuff going on out in the streets and it, it's causing them a ton of stress. The zoo has gone into full emergency mode and they now have workers on hand 24-7 trying to keep the animals taken care of and also as calm as possible. Meanwhile, days of shelling in the city of Kharkiv have led to multiple animals escaping the zoo there as their enclosures were damaged by the bombing. Many enclosures at Feldman Eco Park in Kharkiv were damaged by bombing, and as such, many of the animals escaped the zoo. This includes a seven-month-old lion cub named Simba, who was found hiding in a stable not far from the zoo. So at least Simba was found and actually walked back just using a lead to take him back to the zoo, which was, you know, kind of sweet, actually. Monkeys, porcupines, and raccoons also escaped the zoo and have been recaptured and brought back into safety. But red wolves that escaped the zoo have left the territory of the eco-park and as of yet have not been found. I'm actually super impressed that any animals were returned given that um, there's so much stress over, you know, their home was bombed. And hell, most of us humans don't really truly understand what's going on, but... At least we have a better understanding of it than the animals do. The fact that they are so well-trained and trust their keepers so much is is such an amazing thing. You know, certain keepers that I've had on here, like Danny Larson and uh, Colleen Adams, talk about building a trust bank with your animals so that when you do have to do something that is a negative experience for them, even if something like that is obviously, you know, they're not doing bad things to the animals, but like a blood draw, which can hurt. And we can't really explain to the animal, hey— we need to look at your blood for medicinal purposes. Um, you know, they take a little out of that trust bank, but there have been so many deposits that the animals still trust and love them. And to have a trust bank that is so deep and so big that war doesn't take away many of those animals trust in their keepers and in their home. That's really beautiful. Uh, and, you know, I also understand why the red wolves, which are one of the most skittish species out there would not have so much trust in anything right now. And man, I hope those wolves are found and that they're okay and that they're returned home. Meanwhile, right outside of Kiev, there is a place known as the Save Wildlife Rescue. And um, the animals there were evacuated to Zoo Poznan in Poland. The evacuation was successful, which is a great story. But uh, before the animals were able to get across the border... Russian tanks actually surrounded the convoy, pointing their guns at the animals and the vehicles. Further details of how this happened are not available to the public right now, but apparently the word on the street is that uh, Ukrainian defenders of Kiev actually showed up and were able to escort the animals across the border. Uh, that's quite a victory. That's it's really amazing. Honestly, the, the people at the zoo in Poland had given up hope at that time, but 
then this miracle happened, and now, yay, the animals are safe in Poland. And then the last bit of Ukrainian zoo news that I'm going to share with you all right now is kind of a, a two-parter. Um, so for a long time, and this is one of the reasons I held off till the last second to record this, but for a long time, various zoos in Ukraine were saying that while they would eventually need financial assistance, they didn't actually need it yet at the moment, and they weren't sure exactly what they needed, so to not send any help to those zoos. That has changed slightly now, but if you are a listener to this podcast and you are moved to help those zoos, it is very important that you understand that some scam agencies have already shown up saying that they're going to collect money for these zoos, but you can't really track it and you don't really know what's going to happen. So please be careful where you put your resources because you might end up not doing good, but just making some scumbag rich. I am so disgusted at the fact that I have to even say that that's a thing, and I'm so bothered by all of that, but uh, war profiteering is, is not an unknown thing, so just be careful if you do make donations. The only truly official thing that I have seen that I trust at this time is that the European Association of Zoos and Aquaria, known as IAZA, has started an emergency appeal for Ukrainian zoos. Now, IAZA is a respected multi-zoo, multinational organization. Um, it's not the same as like the AZA. It's not an accrediting body. You just choose to join up. Uh, but they are officially doing this emergency appeal. And you can go and look at www.eaza.net to find out what they're doing to help and to contribute if you would like to. So far, this is the only, only charity collecting money for zoos in Ukraine that I would trust. So once again, that's eaza.net. And then you just click on the emergency appeal for Ukrainian zoos link. So on a recent episode of Rasafari Zoo News, I mentioned that the highly pathogenic avian influenza, known as HPAI, is currently spreading amongst birds at a concerning and alarming rate, although it has not reached all cities and states of the United States yet. In the last week or so, many zoos have taken steps to become proactive in making sure that if this disease does reach their area, that it's not going to infect their collections at the zoo. For instance, Elmwood Park Zoo recently announced their biosecurity plan, which aims to isolate their collection from wild bird populations that may be carrying the disease as they migrate up the East Coast. The members-only preview sessions for Harmony Hideaway have been changed so that guests can enter the vestibule area to see Liana the Sloth, who you learned about on an earlier episode of this podcast, and if you haven't, go check that out. But they're not going to get to go into the main exhibit area to see the area where the bird species reside. Their chickens have been relocated to a quarantine space away from their public enclosure. The bald and golden eagles at the zoo are relocating to an enclosure outside the wildlife lodge that is not open to the public. And all Elmwood Zoo encounters involving birds are currently unavailable. 
Many other zoos have also sent out emails or put up social media posts explaining that their birds are going off exhibit because of the potential damage done by this disease. And uh, while some of the zoos haven't made that announcement yet, I, I've seen just on their social media pages and stuff people complaining that like, oh, why are all the birds off exhibit? Well, now you know. This disease is here. And thanks to birds migrating, it will soon be migrating with them. So it's very important that captive birds are kept safe. And hey, while we're sticking with all of the, the sad, unfortunate news from zoos, my good buddy Roshan, the seven-year-old red panda who lived at Beardsley Zoo and who you could hear a lot about on a recent episode of the pod, has passed away because of spinal lesions. Now, while the story is quite sad and heartbreaking and uh, not my favorite email that I ever woke up to first thing in the morning, not going to lie, um, I, I like to look at the positive. You know, Roshan was seven years old, which is not old for a red panda, but um, he had had a problem walking for quite a while and the zoo did amazing work keeping him healthy and helping him adjust and live a pain-free life for a heck of a lot longer than would happen for any wild red panda. And then on top of that, when they discovered the spinal lesions and realized there was nothing else that they could do for poor Roshan, they made the decision to humanely euthanize him rather than let him suffer. Which, even though it's it's sad and we're going to miss him, um, you know, is, is a beautiful thing that they were able to do that for him. So uh, I'm sending my love and condolences to everyone at Beardsley Zoo. Ooh, I could hear my voice crack on that one. Had to stop recording for a second. Uh, Roshan was a real special panda, and and actually the reason that I discovered Beardsley Zoo, which was one of the first zoos that supported this podcast. So I'm um, going to miss that little guy. Okay, let's move on to happier things. Zoo Knoxville recently announced that their one-year-old zebra foal, Mosey, has a problem with one of its feet. It is club-footed. Basically, this means that instead of growing like a normal equid hoof, it grows straight down. As the foal has aged, they've noticed that Mosey is having some problems walking and even trips over his own hooves occasionally because of this. And so as such, they collaborated with their vet team to create a glass slipper for Mosey so to speak. Uh, it's basically a corrective shoe that they have put on Mosey under anesthesia and uh, it's going to help him walk and they did some surgical stuff and some other cool doctory things that I don't understand because I play the drums and for now Mosey has a shoe and it's going to help fix the problem and if it goes according to plan which as we all know always happens with animals but seriously I, I believe that it will in this case then they'll actually eventually be able to take this shoe off and have corrected the club footedness and Mosey will be able to <clears throat> I'm sorry in advance. Mosey on with no problems. It's like time for the splash zone, dude. All right, so it's time for some aquarium news, and we're going to start off at Baltimore's National Aquarium, where they have announced that they are replacing every pane of glass in their upper-level tropical rainforest. 
Now, if you've never looked up what the National Aquarium looks like, it is a striking building in large part because the top of it is this huge glass pyramid and and there are, there's a rainforest in there and it's really cool. I remember when I first started going to the aquarium being blown away by being able to walk into a rainforest on top of a building in Baltimore, like even in the winter. And I also remember that there are sloths that live in there, and they're kind of hard to find a lot of the time, and it became such a thing to find a sloth. It was such a special moment anytime you did. So that area is going to remain, but the aquarium is going to change out every single pane of glass up there, meaning that it will be closed for some time. The new glass is going to be safer for birds and way more energy efficient, thus better for, you know, the world. This is a great job by the National Aquarium. Now they just need to post more photos of hashtag Team Funzo. Congratulations to the Cleveland Aquarium, which recently announced the hatching of some weedy sea dragons. Weedy sea dragons have only been birthed successfully in less than 20 animal care facilities since 2001, the first time that it happened. And of those less than 20, only about a dozen have seen the offspring survive. So the Cleveland Aquarium is joining a very unique and elite group as far as weedy sea dragon birth is concerned. And finally in the splash zone, Shed Aquarium in Chicago has announced the completion of a study which proves that decreases in wastewater pollutants increase the diversity of fish in Chicago's waterways. Okay, so this isn't exactly shocking news, but it is interesting to see a study that shows that multiple species that had abandoned the waterways of Chicago actually returned once efforts were put in place to remove some of the pollutants from the water. It's one of those things that we're all like, yeah, that totally makes sense, but it's awesome that there's actually a study that proves it, especially because that can make it easier to convince politicians to make policy changes that will further increase the diversity of the fish in the water around Chicago and hopefully the, see it get applied to, like, you know, the, the rest of the world. Let's pollute less. Yes, please. Cool. Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. All right, so we're going to start off our conservation news this episode by turning it over to senior Australian correspondent, Ren Howell. Well, 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 we've had some good news coming out of Australia this week. Australian Environment Minister Susan Lee has announced that humpback whales have been removed from Australia's threatened species list after a significant increase in numbers. Whaling drove the species near extinction in the 1980s, but conservation efforts since then have increased the numbers of humpback whales in Australian waters from 1,500 to an estimated 40,000. So don't worry, we'll be okay. Thank you, Ren. Although I do need to point out that this is a woman who frequently makes fun of me for my bad puns. Just saying. And actually, while we're in Australia, and don't worry, I'm not going to do my accent. I You just heard a real one, and I would hate to, you know, show Ren up by showing that my 
acting Australian accent is better than her actual one, <clears throat> obviously. Um, but a, a team at the University of Melbourne in Australia has decided to try to resurrect the extinct thylacine, also known as the Tasmanian tiger, which is one of the coolest marsupials that ever walked the planet, but sadly went extinct back in 1936. The team at the university has started the Thylacine Integrated Genetic Restoration Research Lab, or TIGER Lab, T-I-G-R-R. -R. Okay, this industry has too many acronyms, but that one is adorable. Anyway, with the goal of bringing back the thylacine. Now, you know, I find it amusing that we have people trying to bring back the woolly mammoth and now trying to bring back the thylacine as the latest Jurassic Park movie is coming up on us. And how have we not learned from these movies? But also, like, I would love to see a thylacine come back. That would be really cool. Tassie tigers are amazing. More importantly, though, the researchers say that the methods developed and the technology that they are using with this being their end goal in sight, will also help conserve many of the marsupials that are still alive but struggling today. So that's cool. And, you know, if we end up with an Australian version of Jurassic Park, I mean, you know, thylacine park. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. I'm down. I could even play one of the parts with my amazing accent, mate. No. Crikey. And before we leave the land down under, the Australia Zoo Wildlife Hospital recently opened a brand new koala ICU ward named the Perry McFarlane Intensive Care Ward. Perry McFarlane is the father of Seth McFarlane, the creator of Family Guy and American Dad and all that stuff, who it turns out is actually a huge supporter of wildlife and created the Seth McFarlane uh, Foundation for this very purpose. And the name is obviously to honor his father, but uh, yeah, the creator of Family Guy out there saving koalas and such. Who knew? In super exciting news back in the United States... Two more red wolves are being released into the wild. Female 2272 from Zoo Knoxville and male 2141 from the Western North Carolina Nature Center are the first of 10 wolves that are currently kind of figuring out how to get released and learn how to live in the wild while being observed. And they are going to be heading out into the wild soon. So uh, it's really cool that that lawsuit is is still not working to stop wolves from being released and that two more are heading out into the wild. This is one of my favorite conservation stories and the amount of zoos and such involved is just so heartwarming. I love it. You know, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast a lot is how even when we have animals that we're protecting in the wild, they still struggle and they may face new problems that we did not expect, like the human diseases getting into the protected lands of gorillas and, and causing havoc amongst uh, that population. Well, a study done recently has proven that uh, mountain gorilla inbreeding has distorted their facial features. So there seem to be around a thousand mountain gorillas left in the world split into two populations. And because of that, and because of the nature of gorillas in general, there's a lot of inbreeding going on. They have protected lands that are, are safe for them, but they can't leave them. And there isn't another population out there for them to 
you know, commingle with. And so there's all kind of inbreeding happening. And this has been happening since at least the 70s that we've seen some of the facial issues. And uh, it's it's generally understood from doing some research that inbreeding has been taking place over the past 130 years or so. So yeah, scientists are figuring out what they can do if there's anything that they can do. But they do know that um, this is happening with mountain gorilla populations. And there's also concern that there's too much inbreeding happening in western and eastern lowland gorillas as well. It's going to be super interesting to see what the conservation community comes up with to help these various gorilla species. And while we're talking about struggles of species, uh, it turns out that bald eagles across the United States are showing signs of chronic lead exposure at a rate much higher than previously believed. In fact, it seems that about 46% of all bald eagles in the wild have harmful levels of toxic lead poisoning in their bodies. So much of the lead poisoning comes from, you know, bullets and and the hunting industry and not just people shooting at eagles because that's illegal, though it still happens from time to time, but because the lead then gets into the carrion that they may choose to eat or into the prey that they may choose to eat and um, it, it becomes a problem. So, uh, yeah. We need to keep working on getting lead out of the bullets that are used for hunting, which is actually something that a lot of hunters do support. Um, you know, there's this whole debate about whether hunters can be considered conservationists or not, but many of them see themselves as such and take steps to try to conserve a lot of species that aren't being hunted by them. I know it's it's kind of weird to wrap your head around if you're not a hunter who who sees yourself as a conservationist, but um this is a legit thing and you would be amazed at at how many zookeepers and people working in the conservation field that I know personally are actually also hunters. And last but not least in conservation news, a cold snap down in Texas has stunned over 300 sea turtles, leaving them cold stunned and helpless in the water. Until rescuers showed up, and now all 300 of them have been distributed all across the country to various facilities that help take care of cold stunned turtles and release them back into the wild. Yay, turtle conservation. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, no, right now, right now, it's time. It's time for other news. It's a segue to the podcast on the news. So, as you have heard on here, and also probably in the real world, uh, Disney Pixar is releasing a movie called Turning Red, which is about a girl who turns into a giant red panda whenever her emotions get the best of her. Well, merch is starting to roll out, and I'm really excited about it, although a lot of it seems targeted at kids for some reason. I don't know. Like, there are these cool kid slippers of the Red Panda that will clearly not fit on my big adult male feet, sadly. And Panda Express, despite, you know, their logo being the wrong kind of panda going for that bear thing, has actually teamed up with Pixar to make a turning red panda cub meal also known as a kid's meal, um, which encourages you to embrace your inner panda. And, uh, well, Panda Express, I do. I always do. 
Anyway, you're going to see more Red Panda merch coming out soon, and that's going to help to raise awareness of this amazing species. So hopefully, we're going to get a chance to talk more about those. I've, I've mentioned this on uh, an article I wrote for Red Panda Network, and I'm working on another thing with them right now about all of this. But please keep in mind that while awareness of a species can be a good thing, it can also be detrimental to that species as it can drive not only you know, donations to things like zoos and Red Panda Network, but also desire for Red Panda pets, which is a bad idea. They cannot be pets. So if you do decide to engage with any of this and talk to anybody about Red Pandas and, and turning red, uh, point them towards this podcast or, you know, Red Panda Network or your local zoos that may have Red Pandas on exhibit. But make sure that you do get the message across. Hashtag no panda pets. And yes, in case you're wondering, I am 100% going to go to Panda Express and order the children's meal and get this because of course I am. So there is a venomous spider that currently lives in the UK, although it is an invasive species that traveled there in the 1800s. It, it did not live there originally. That has uh, made history because a spider has eaten a bat. This is the first time that this has happened on record anywhere in the world. But it was a juvenile bat that got caught in the web and the spider was like, yo, food is food. I'm paraphrasing. That's not an exact quote. I reached out to the spider for comment, but it was taking a long nap after eating a huge bat. So, you know, can't blame it. Interestingly, not only did that spider feast upon the bat, but then a larger bat also got caught in the web. However, people saw that happening and actually went and saved the bat or starved the spider, depending on how you want to look at it. But um, yeah, despite the fact that Black Widow spiders are super famous for being scary, even though, you know, they're not, not really. Um, but, but it turns out that uh, false widow spiders, despite being called false widows, not something you want to mess with, especially if you're a bat. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right, y'all, it is officially March, which um, most importantly is my birth month. March 31st is my birthday, but I believe firmly in celebrating the whole month. So happy birth month to me. And y'all, this may sound like I'm being silly. And I mean, okay, I'm totally being silly, but I I'm not kidding you when I tell you that my mother sent me a gift to start my birth month and my parents actually called to sing me happy birth month. On March 1st, um, they they embrace my insanity and I appreciate it. Oh, also less important, but I guess still important. It's um, it's it's Dolphin Awareness Month. So, OK, them too. Now, March 7th to the 11th is also National Aardvark Week, which is really cool. And we actually don't have any individual days for this entire week, which is like crazy for me. But I will say that Tuesday, March 8th, is International Women's Day. And if there is one thing that I have learned doing this podcast, it is that there are a ton of amazing women out there doing the work in the world of zookeeping and aquarist and biologist and conservationist. This entire field is incredibly filled with incredible women doing incredible work. So uh, we're going to celebrate that day as an animal day. And no, for the record, not calling women animals, except in the sense that 
all humans are animals. But uh, ladies who listen to Rasafari and who participate in all of this cool conservation stuff, love you, love you, love you. Thank you for all you do. All right, folks. Well, there you have it. Another week of Rasafari Zoo News is in the books or the internet or however podcasts work. I don't really know. I just make one. But speaking of making one, on Tuesday, you are going to get to hear from Joe Barkowski of the Tulsa Zoo. So that's exciting. Joe's a really cool dude and brings some really interesting information from a very high management position at the zoo, um, talking about everything from individual animals to the construction and reconstruction of, of some of their exhibits and stuff. There's a lot of cool stuff. So make sure that you tune in on Tuesday. I'd also like to say thanks to my Red Panda level patron, Laura Shank, and remind you all that you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. That's less than like a cup of coffee by going to patreon.com slash I really appreciate it, y'all. I'd also like to thank Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, and Kristen Khalil, who contributed to this week's episode. And remember, friends, the words newsy credits backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.